1: Lovely hello, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Gus, Gus Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson. Now part of the Beast and Family podcast, and we've got an amazing podcast for you guys. It is the Horizon League Preview Edition. We are gonna be taking a look at all the teams in the lovely Horizon League, going through the betting trends and styles of play in segment number one, segment number two, a man that has joined me on this conference preview podcast many times in the past, Blake Lovell. Does great work over at Southeastern 14. He, much like myself, absolutely loves this conference. He's going to be joining me in segment number two. We're going to be examining all these rosters. We're going to be taking a look at all these teams in general in the Ryzen League as to some of the departures, the uh, couple of coaching changes that we saw as well. So we're going to be diving into that with Blake in segment number two. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys my projector or finish for the Ryzen League. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we'll those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Janet underscore eighty one. Keep in mind, letters, em, name does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, this is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Because I am doing a conference preview today, I will not be hitting the news and notes that we saw in college basketball on Saturday. So we're going to do Saturdays and Sundays notes on the podcast tomorrow. So that should be all the cleanup that we need. Now let's get down to business and let's take a look at a Ryzen league that was very parody driven last year. We had two teams that were clearly the dregs of the conference last year. IUPUI and Green Bay. And Green Bay made a coaching change. Will Ryan is no longer there. They bring in Sundance Wicks, assistant coach from Wyoming. Exactly what they needed because they're still paying for the sins of firing Link Darner. That was not a good move to say the least. I am someone that was born 45 minutes away from Green Bay. I contacted every single person that I know that has any sort of connection to UW-Green Bay. They had no clue what the heck was going on. They were not necessarily for the move, and now it seems like they might be getting back on the right track. And it's not against Will Ryan. It was just an impossible situation. They just really set him up for failure, and they set him up in a conference where... Points are typically very plentiful and UW-Green Bay, they just weren't able to put any up on the board. UW-Green Bay was trying to zag while everyone else zigs and typically when you play a distinct style in a conference in which there is one way in which a lot of teams play, it's either going to go really, really good or really, really bad and for UW-Green Bay it went really, really bad. Averaging 59.3 points per game and giving up north of 76.5 points per game. So, yeah they and Iepui went 2-18 and 18 in the conference and then it was just a big giant mess in the middle. You had Fort Wayne and Detroit go nine and eleven within the conference last year. Robert Morris, right state, go ten and ten. Oakland goes 11-9. Northern Kentucky, Cleveland State, UW-Milwaukee, three-way Tango at 14-60s and 60s are straight-up records, by the way. And then Youngstown State, they were able to capture the regular season conference crown. They went 15-5. And, and then Northern Kentucky, they were the team that represented in the NCAA tournament. And it's very clear, this is not a conference that necessarily loves a lot of defense. I was referring to UW-Green Bay and just how stinky they were in offense. Well, they were also 359th in the country in terms of points lot on a per-possession basis at IUPUI was their 60th. So, two out of the six worst defenses in all of college basketball, they resided here. Now, these two schools, they certainly did give the conference a little bit of a bad name as I mean, the rest of the conference was a little bit better, but still. You had Oakland be 326th of the country. Turns the a lot on a per-possession basis. You heard a lot of boo-hooing for Antoine Davis not being able to try to break that scoring record. Well, maybe the team shouldn't have been 323rd in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, could have buffed up and could have won a few of those games as a result. You also saw Young State, who was a team that was able to win the regular season conference crown. They were a bunch that they were well outside the top 200. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis as well, you got a lot of teams in this conference that they're just really not bearing down on the defensive side of things, and... You're going to notice that it's very hit or miss when it comes to the three-point shooting within this conference, as well as you did see Detroit obviously be a very good three-point shooting team. And as a result of a lot of good three-point shooting teams in this conference had a lot of bad three-point shooting defenses as well. But for Detroit, they were number six in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage, shooting darn near the same percentage at home as they did on the road. So that was relatively impressive. From there, the drop-off was quite real. You did see Sun say, like number 69, very nice in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage, but you would see quite a few teams be able to rebound, be able to be more in that 111 range like Wright State was. You had some relatively solid three-point shooting as well from a team like Fort Wayne a few seasons ago last year. That wasn't quite there quite as much, but you typically do have a conference in general in which you've got a lot of good three-point shooting, you've got a lot of bad three-point shooting defense, and It is some very frenetic paces as UW-Green Bay and the fact that they played very slow last season, that was very much them zagging while everyone else was zigging as for UW-Green Bay, They were outside of the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. They were by far the slugs in this conference. You also did have a pair of other teams, and Robert Morris along Cleveland State decided to play a little bit more slowly as well, though it wasn't quite as demonstrative for Robert Morris. They were clocking in right in the neighborhood of about 253rd in the country, terms of total possessions per game. And Cleveland State, they were more around 208th in the country with this regard. And Detroit, they were a mid-tempo team as well. They were right around 180th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. From there, you did see a lot of teams play a lot more quickly. And Bart Lundy in year number one at UW-Milwaukee, he is certainly transforming things. He knows what the Horizon League is all about, and he pumped up the tempo. As his team at UW-Milwaukee along with Wright State, they were both in the top 20 last year in terms of total possessions per game. Milwaukee was the fastest team in the conference at number 13, but Wright State was right there. They were 17th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. From there, it would take a little bit of a slide from there because you did see a lot more teams, more around like 80th to 100th in terms of total possessions per game. These are teams that they play fast but not necessarily super duper out of control like Fort Wayne was right around 93rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Youngstown State, they were more around 104. So, you did see a lot of teams play fast, not necessarily breakneck speed fast, and you did see for IUPUI, they were one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball begin the season and then they did crank up the tempo a little bit. So, they were a bit of an interesting case study as well as they finished more around 206th in the country in terms of total possessions per game and what you did noticed was that because IUPUI was starting to put up points on the board after they were scoring like 50 points per game two seasons ago, it was just absolutely anemic that they were able to upgrade in terms of the way that they were able to make you money as they were just a big giant fade in the back half of the 2021-22 season during the 2022-23 season in terms of just conference play and conference play only because non conference play, it was not too polite to IUPUI, Peewee, but they were one of the most profitable teams within a conference in all of college basketball. IUPUI went 16-5 and against the spread within the conference. If you take out Chicago State, who was an independent last year, only Hofstra and Indiana State had a better against-the-spread cover rate in all of college basketball, which is absolutely nuts, but... They were able to do a really good job there. And then you had the other team that went to an 18 in the conference, UW-Green Bay, be one of the biggest fades in all of college both in the conference, UW-Green Bay, and Fort Wayne as well. Fort Wayne fell off a cliff as well. Both of these teams went 6-15 and 15 against the spread within the conference. And you could tell the teams that they were playing a little bit more slowly, but they weren't necessarily doing the world's greatest job on defense, like Fort Wayne, like UW-Green Bay. They were teams that they were really... Suffering, to say the least, especially when it came to conference play. If you take a look at the teams that were able to make you money within the conference, along with IEPY, Robert Morris, they went 13-9 against the spread. They were one of the better defensive teams within the conference. Northern Kentucky. They were actually second in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis in road games. And they were another team that did play very slowly. They went 13 and 10 against the spread within the conference. Meanwhile, Detroit, who played no defense, nine and 13 against the spread within the conference. UW Milwaukee, a little bit of an up and down defense, 11, 10 and one against the spread within the conference. Youngstown State went 12 and 10 against the spread within the conference. So defense was for a lot of these teams very much rewarded and underdogs were very much rewarded within the conference as well. You saw that with IEPUI. Overall, if you include their non-conference play as well, they went 18-11 and against the spread in the role of an underdog now. UW-Green Bay just was like a big, giant anchor to the conference. They just drove everything down. As an underdog, they went 8-23 against the spread. I mean, it was just so sad. That's why they had to get rid of Mr. Will Ryan. And then Oakland was 7-11-1 against the spread as an underdog. But you saw right, Seiko 7-4 in the role of an underdog against the spread. Robert Morris, 12-7-1 against the spread. Cleveland State, 1-9-7 against the spread. UW-Milwaukee eleven and nine against the spread as an underdog as well. So he seems we're able to do a nice job as well. And as we know, this is a conference that it's mainly out there in the Midwest. So you're finding teams from the state of Wisconsin, more in the Illinois area, as we know as well, Indiana. So the heartland of America. And when it came to just home cover rate and road cover rate, things were pretty equal. You did have a few teams that were able to do a nice job on the road, like Robert Morris went 10-5 and five against the spread on the road. IPUI, Wright State, IPFW all went 8-7 and seven against the spread on the road. And then you did have one big giant outlier, UW Green Bay, go 5-13 and 13 against the spread on the road. But really, other than Detroit going 7-11 against the spread on the road, not too bad. And at home, a lot of the same. IPFW was your big anchor against the spread at home. 3 and 10 against the spread in those games. UW Green Bay, shock, shock, surprise, surprise. It went four and eight against the spread at home, so if you're gathering anything from these trends, it was that UW-Green Bay was a team that you did not want to back at any point last year, and that's probably going to lend a lot of value to them this season, because their stock literally couldn't have gotten any lower, but IEPY at home last season was actually 9-2 and against the spread. They were underdogs at home every single time, and they actually battled quite tough. UW-Milwaukee, they were 9-5-1 against the spread as well at home. Youngstown State, 8-6 against the spread at home, so wasn't necessarily anything very demonstrative, with regards to home and road splits, other than the fact that, well, UW Green Bay stunk in both capacities. So there was that aspect of it. And then if you're taking a look at what we saw in terms of the non-conference for a lot of these teams, a lot of these teams were very equal in terms of how the Ryzen League performed out of conference. It was a little bit rough with Oakland going 1-9 and nine against the spread out of conference. They just... Did not play any defense whatsoever. That turned out to be costly. Northern Kentucky got off to a rough start as well. I have found this with Northern Kentucky. They have not been a very good non-conference team in recent years. They went 2-8 and eight against the spread in non-conference play. And You take a look at Northern Kentucky and the way that they have started in recent years in general. And this really holds true for much of the conference you've had since the beginning of the 2019-20 season. Just three teams actually be 500 or better against the spread in non conference games, and one of those teams is no longer within the conference. That would be UIC. So, Wright State, they've hit 60% of their games in non conference since the beginning of the 2019 20 season. Young State 16, 14, and 2. Everyone else has lost you money and has hit 48.7% or worse outside the conference, with Northern Kentucky being 11 and 20 against the spread in the time span. and IEPUI 10 and 20 against the spread in non-conference play in that span as well. And then if you do take a look at a totals aspect of things, the Rising Lake typically is a haven for overs. And, well, last season it was as well. You did have three outliers. So. Fort Wayne, they played 60% of their games the under. 18 out of their 30 games went under. Robert Morris, 19 out of their 31 games went under. Northern Kentucky, 21 out of their 33 games went under the total. Everyone else cashed at least 53.1% of their games to the over. So if you blindly took the over with the other eight teams in the conference, you made money. This is just because a lot of these defenses stunk down. Youngstown State, they were actually a top 10 team in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, 21 overs to 11 unders. They were just really good on offense. You saw UW-Milwaukee... Oakland, IUPUI combined it 60% of their games to the over as well for Oakland, IUPUI, and UW-Milwaukee. A lot of this was due to a lack of defense and for Milwaukee just playing at warp speed in general. And UW-Green Bay actually played about 56% of their games to the over. Not because they were doing any scoring, it's because they were just giving up a whole bunch of points as well. And what I think is interesting is if you narrow this down to just conference play, you once again had your big three with regards to the outliers, in terms of the under. IPFW, Robert Morris, and Northern Kentucky all played at least 57% of their games to the over, but you had five different teams. Wright State, Milwaukee, Cleveland State, IUPUI, Youngstown State all play at least 59% of their games to the over. UW-Green Bay, not far behind, 12 overs to 9 unders. Defense, it just felt like it was lacking more and more with these Horizon League teams. As the season went about, and if you take a look at the home games with regards to the conference as well, you did notice that a lot of teams had some very good over trends at home. As Wright State, IPY, Cleveland State all played fluctuating sixty-one and a half and sixty-four and a half percent of their games to the over at home. UW Milwaukee seventy-three percent of their games to the over at home. UW Green Bay nine and three to the over at home last season. Oakland ten and three to the over at home last season. You only had two teams. And more than 54% of their games to the under at home last season. Detroit and IPFW EK Fort Wayne, they both played eight unders to five overs at home. So what you notice is that conference play is where defense goes to die, and you probably wanted to fade UW-Green Bay the last few seasons, but we've got a coaching change over at UW-Green Bay, and we're going to be talking about that and so much more with Wake Lovell. He does tremendous work over at Southeastern 14. He has joined me many, many times on this podcast to so take a look at the Rise and Leagues that so coming up next. We're going to be taking a look at all these rosters. We're going to be taking a look at the movement that we saw in the offseason, and so much more, and try to get a lay of the land when it comes to the Rise and Next, you're right here on Coast to Coast Heaps with myself, Greg eubes Peterson, now part of the decent fit.
0: Podcast, Horizon League Previewed Edition. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
1: Welcome to Vegas for Goods with myself, Greg Speakers, and now part of the Decent family of It is a rise league conference preview, and it is always great to be joined by this man as Blake Lovell does a great job over at Southeastern 14. Taking a look at the great game of college basketball, I know his main forte is out there in the SEC, but does a great job looking at so many of these leagues. I know that he is doing amazing work getting set for the upcoming college basketball season one that is seen. No shortage of movement here in the offseason, especially out there in the Horizon League. And you're able to follow Blake on Twitter at the Blake Level. Last name is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. And, Blake, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. I always
3: enjoy it, Greg. Thanks for having me on. I know it's kind of our tradition of doing the Horizon League for several years like it did for Blue Ribbon. And, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, as you and I were joking about before we started, it's a league that just has become – so interesting because you just have so many players coming in and out, as you do kind of everywhere in the transport portal uh, era. But this is always one of the more fascinating, I think, mid-major leagues out there. And it felt like in the rising league there was
1: one constant. Every time we jumped on this podcast, it was always, oh, will Detroit be able to put anything around Antoine <laughs> Davis? For them to be able to have said, well, Antoine Davis is now gone after, well, what felt like 500 years at Detroit. It's a passing of the torch. Now, they do bring in Washington transfer P.J. Fuller, who I think is very interesting. Someone that's able to throw the ball. Jaden Coleman, he comes in from Tulane as well. And I think that this is just going to be an interesting case study because year in, year out, Antoine Davis would always get his, but it never really led to wins for Detroit. And I think that with the overall influx of talent that they brought in, I don't think the off is going to be as big for Detroit as many would think losing the best score at all of college basketball in terms of raw points per game.
3: Yeah, I mean, like you said, no one was really ever knocking him as a player. It's just like we talked about. That was the theme is it was just a matter of could they find enough around him and, and put it an actual product out there that won games consistently and they just were never you know kind of able to do that while he was there and now it becomes a much interesting dynamic because now if you're Mike Davis you know you've got some things to figure out in terms of how exactly you structure things because we never really had a lot of questions about their offense now we've always had a lot of questions Craig I think about what they can do on the defensive side because they've never obviously been a great team there and so I think that's something that you kind of see here too is sometimes I think his ability offensively, uh, even though, you know, they never kind of rose to that elite level as a team, probably in the horizon league, at least the level they wanted to reach, but sometimes his offensive ability can make up for some of those defensive effic- deficiencies that they had. Well, now that you don't have that, you know, you certainly have to be better, I think on the defensive end. And you talked about some of the guys they're bringing in, which they're bringing in quite a few, as we know, they have even got someone coming in a bigger guy and Alex Chiku, we you know, started at Alabama, went to Rhode Island. And I think it's at least an interesting roster. It's one, Now that you look at you've got some guys that have some experience, it's just now you've got to build that experience of these guys playing together because they do have quite a few new guys, like you said, coming from really all over it seems like. I'm curious just to see because this is kind of a new look team not just from the standpoint of Antoine Davis not being there and just what the offensive system and those kind of things look like but it's a new look team because really you know a lot of your rotation is going to be probably filled with newer guys and seeing how these guys sort of step up from their previous stop they're going to have to take on bigger roles with this Detroit Mercy teams
1: yeah they certainly are going to and that is going to be so interesting and Detroit never really played any defense when Antoine Davis was there. Let's take a look at another team that never plays any defense, <laughs> Oakland. I mean, my goodness, 333rd in the country or worse, a points allowed per possession, two out of the last three seasons. They are going to be looking at their top rebounder, Trey Townsend, to continue this. sixteen and a half points, 7 boards. He was rock solid. I like Jack Golke. He comes in from Division II Hillside College, but – I think the ultimate question is because they brought in some, some good lower-level recruits. Andre Polk, had Adam as a top 20 guy. The big question with this team is, for one, can they play a lick of defense, and for two, can Rocket Watts stop being a big, massive disappointment because I had much higher expectations from last year?
3: Yeah, not putting it lightly there, for sure, when you kind of talk about the state of what they need to be. And I think that's it. I mean, it's just you know what the expectations are. For Watts in particular and being at his two previous stops at Michigan State and Mississippi State and kind of you know feeling like, all right, it's a guy who you know, comes back to Michigan, goes to Oakland, and can he kind of be that guy that sort of pushes them you know, back to obviously where they want to be. And we remember kind of the, calling the golden years, I guess, of the Greg Campy era. And from trying to regain that consistency for a program that, you know, for a while there that we know was really at the top of the Summit League, had some good years there early on in the Horizon League. It's really just kind of been up and down since then. It is going to be interesting, I think, just to see how this roster sort of rounds out. And like you said, it does kind of all start on the defensive side and trying to figure out how they get better there. I mean, you know, another thing that stood out with them you know, watching it last season, and, you know, this was obviously an issue at times for some other teams in the Horizon leagues. we know, but if a team just could not shoot the ball from outside, this is, you know, there was really not much of a threat in terms of them being able to make shots from the perimeter, and I think that really hurt their ability, you know, because they weren't a great rebounding team, like we talked about, not a great defensive team, and so it just felt like there were too many times where they had to kind of one, I don't know if one dimensional is the right word, but just a team that really didn't have a lot of ways to win, if that makes sense. And so I'm trying to sort of refine those strengths. I think it's going to be really important for this team because, like you said, they've got some guys coming in that have some production at previous stops, you know, whether that's the, the Juco level or whatever. But I think now it's just trying to put it all together and see if that translates into this actually being a team that can, you know, be back up there winning games at the top.
1: Absolutely. As shown to me on the podcast, we have Blake Lova. We are taking a look at the Rising League, every one of these teams. And this team was really able to rise up last season. UW-Milwaukee, they were 19th last season in the country block shot rate, but they do lose all four players that average at at least a half a block per game last season. But they returned the main man from last year, B.J. Freeman, who was awesome. At the back half of the season, he was able to average towards conference play, 18 plus points, five boards, three assists. He was absolutely tremendous. Kentral Pullian, Marquise Browning, the second. They are going to be back as well. And I do like what they bring in via the transfer portal. As Langson Wilson was a top ten junior college transfer from the class of 2021. Lyric Davis is going to be returning after He was in the great state of Wisconsin, one of the top recruits from the class of 2022 from that state as well. I think that this is going to be a fascinating team as well because they were, in my opinion, headlined by B.J. Freeman and then a bunch of guys which a whole is greater than some of its parts. A lot of the sum of the parts around B.J. Freeman are gone, but Freeman is back.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? Like It starts with that. If you have a player like that you've at least got a starting point that a lot of other teams don't have majority of the teams i think in the league don't have a guy you know like this that that can do what he did multiple 30 point games last season had that 40 he's what 43 point game against stetson there towards the end of the season i mean you're talking about someone when you can use that as your starting point that again sort of gives you an advantage and and then it really is i don't know if we're kind of having a similar discussion that we had uh, over the years with detroit you know there and talk about antoine davis but not saying freeman's the same player obviously plays a different position but when you have someone like that, you can build everything around. It's just a matter of seeing what else, you know, kind of comes in around it and seeing if you can fill kind of some of those spots and weaknesses and being able to make up for that. I think, um, you know, just looking at some of the things that, that they were able to do last season and really try to build off of that because it was one of those where we talked about it, right? It was this program had to find a way to turn a corner. The part Lundy coming in, you know, they went 22 games. They played a tempo that was very appealing you know, they got up and down the floor. They did a lot of things well, but still, I think you look at it overall, just having Freeman as a starting point, to me, that's going to make them, you know, probably one of the teams that's going to wind up near the top, just because, you know, he is a very special player. We saw that last season, and I think you saw with what Bart Lundy could do to kind of put this together in one offseason, now with the guys that he's brought in, and I think it's interesting just to kind of look at where these guys are coming from. These are some guys that are you know, pretty talented talented guys heading into college. And now maybe this is a situation where now they kind of fill some of these spots that this Milwaukee team needs. So I'm very intrigued by them. But obviously the big reason for that is, is Freeman. So
1: absolutely. And this is gonna be a bunch that they were so good on offense last season. They were a top ten team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But as we know, a lot of these guys are gone from last year. Youngstown State, they lose four of their top five scores from last season. That main guy as returning as Brandon Rush, who was able to register 14 points on nearly 38% three point shooting, but they bring in Brett Thompson. He was very solid at Tennessee Tech, shot over 40% from three. Bryson Langdon, I think, is very interesting. No shortage of familiarity with him as he comes in from Northern Kentucky. I think the X Factor here is Ziggy Reed. He was at Merrimack, a team that led all of college basketball in terms of steals on a per possession basis last year. 14 points, four and a half boards, six foot six combo player that's able to shoot him from three. I think a lot of people are going to predict the demise of Youngstown State after they rose up last year but couldn't make the NCAA tournament. I take a look at what's coming in in the portal. I take a look at the way that Mr. Jericho, Calhoun has been able to coach up the and. I think the falloff is going to be less than what a lot of people
3: expect with Youngstown State. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, you said it, it was kind of a breakthrough year for the Penguins there. I know Jared Calhoun had been waiting on that, you know, for them to really just to be the team that's right there at the top of the Horizon League. That had been their goal for a long time. And, you know, there were just some of those things, whether it was injuries or those kind of things, just felt like it just held them back for, for a couple of years, even though they were winning, you know, double-digit games there. I think they've won double-digit games in the league three out of the last four years. But It was just finally getting, you know, to that 24 type win mark and being the team that's there at the top. And, you know, the reason for that is they found their rhythm offensively. This has never really been, by any means, an elite sort of defensive team. They've always kind of just relied on their ability offensively. And my goodness, Greg, I know we probably talked at some point about them last season. But when you looked up and down the stat sheet, you compare them to other teams kind of nationally and such. There was a lot of, you know, stats where they ranked very high nationally in a lot of different categories. And I think that was obviously one of the reasons why they were able to make that push. But now you do kind of look at the roster and, and know there's some changes there. And as you said, it's certainly possible they take a step back, given some of the roster movement and all that. But at the same time, I think Reed is very intriguing. You're talking about a guy who just, what, basically played 30 minutes a game the past three seasons at bareback. So I would fully expect him to come in and, and be someone that really helps them out significantly right off the bat. And I think that's going to make them pretty intriguing too next season.
1: I do think that this is going to be a very fascinating team. And, I do think that it is going to be fun to watch them. And I think that it's going to be fun to watch this team as well because we talk about so many players being lost from so many different teams. But how about Wright State? They returned their top four scores from last season. And how about if they returned their top score from two years ago? Tanner Holden. He was holding it down two seasons ago. 20 points, seven boards, two and a half assists per game. Went to Ohio State. I don't know why Ohio State didn't use them as much as they did. That was really befuddling, but... Brandon Noel is back. He's a six-foot-eight combo player that's able to shoot it from three-point range. I always get this guy's last name wrong, but Alex Hedbergerski, Dave, hopefully I said that correctly, shoots 39.5% from three. A.J. Brown is back. Andrew Wellich shot 47.5% from three, 13th among qualifying D1 players. Keaton Norris is back. I look at Wright State, and I know that from a lot of the early straw polls, I am seeing a lot of people have them number two, number three. This has the feel of the best team in the conference.
3: I think, Greg, to me, I kind of look at this as the Scott Nagy sort of revenge doer here because I think when you look at the kind of the history, and I didn't realize this until I was kind of doing my notes that's come on with you, but I think it was, what, last year they lost 10 games in the conference. I think that was the first time that he had lost double-digit games as a head coach in the conference. It's 2009, something like that maybe. when He was at South Dakota State, one of the, you know, I think it was like his third or fourth year coaching in Division one, And so you just think about that, right, and you think about just sort of the success he's had, and the consistency, I think, has been the biggest thing. So when they take kind of a step back last season like they did, now I feel like everything's sort of set up for them to just get right back there at the top. You know, that's kind of been the norm when we've had this discussion over the past several years. It's usually, okay, you just expect Wright State to be right there in the conversation. If you don't have one, they're probably there at two, maybe three, but that's just kind of been the way it's been when you looked at kind of what the expectations are for this team there with Scott Nagin. You mentioned it getting Tanner Holden back. I just think it's so interesting because – Like you said, I think going to Ohio State, there were high expectations. I'm curious just to see how things fit in there. But, you know, ultimately, now he finds his way back. And I have no doubt that he will kind of, you know, seamlessly get right back to where he was before because we just saw the success he had on this team. We saw the way that they used him. I think that, you know, there's just a lot of things that he brings to the table that this team needs. I think heading into this season, just again, trying to sort of make that resurgence back up to the top of the league. So I love the roster. You talked about just the guys they have coming back getting some experience back. You've got some cohesiveness there. I'm kind of on the bandwagon of it's hard to pick against Scott Nagy. I think it's really hard to pick against them, especially when they're coming off of a down year. It is very hard to pick against Scott Nagy.
1: It's been easy to pick against this team the last few years. So, oh, the IUPUI, who ranked 360th in the country and points allowed on a per possession basis last year. But after being the most sad and pathetic offense I think I had really ever seen during the 2021-22 season, they actually scored points towards back half of the season. Now we also saw the defense go down the toilet bowl in the second half of the season, but they scored points in the second half of the season. They bring back Jalen Counter. He put up 14 and a half points per game. Vincent Brady was able to give the team a little bit of three point shooting, and they bring in a few guys via the transfer portal. Kentrell Blocker was someone that was at Buffalo, shot in the mid-30s from three-part range. Kwanzi Samuels is coming in from George Washington. Now, do I think IEPY is challenging for the conference crown or anything like that? No, but I do think that there's a chance that IEPY is going to be a little bit more competitive this year, and I think that they avoid finishing dead last
3: of the conference. Yeah, I mean, it can't get much worse, can it, Greg? I think that's the the way you look at it, like you said, especially on the offensive end. I don't know how it could get worse. I think I was doing the count earlier, and I want to say it was, I don't know, 10 to 12 maybe games they scored in the 40s or less. I think they had a 30-something point game in there somewhere. But it's baby steps, right? Like, that's what you're looking for is you're just trying to take those baby steps forward, and I think when you look at it, From that standpoint, you're really trying to figure out exactly, you know, what they can do. And so knowing that the year before, you know, you had those, what, 40 something point games that I mentioned, 10 to 12. But then, you know, Matt Crenshaw's second season now, as you said, they start to at least make improvement on the offensive side of the floor to where they're scoring more points. It resulted in a lot more wins, we know. Only resulted in two more. But I think to make that jump, From that, you know, 21-22 season, couldn't barely hit 50 at times to where now, as you said, to just find some sort of rhythm offensively, maybe to feel a little more comfortable in your system. I think that was an important step, even though it didn't result in the win total. I think you look at it from that standpoint, you feel like, okay, now it's year three for him. Maybe it doesn't result, you know, in a league title or anything like that. But given where they started from, I think you can at least see progress. And it's very slow progress, probably. But when you kind of look at the roster they have, I'm at least interested to see, I think, just what they can do and if they can take kind of that next step, win a few more of these games. Because, you know, they did play some close games too. I think we really think about that. They lost, I don't remember the exact total. I had it looked up, but there was a pretty good group of games where they lost by like five points or less, seven points or less. They were right there. Now it's can you win some of those games? And if you can, I'm with you. I think there's certainly a possibility that they're not the team we're talking about at the bottom.
1: Yep, I agree. I think that things are getting a little bit better there. As we've got Blake Lovell of Southeastern 14 joining me on Cusco, seems to take a look at the rise in the lake. And I right, take a look at this team, they had a relatively solid last few years. I think that this is going to be a rough year for this team, though. The old Macedons of Fort Wayne, after they ranked 347th in the country an opponent at two-point shooting percentage, they don't return a lot from last season. Quentin Morton Robinson, he had six and a half points, shot 38% from three. He's really the top scorer from last year. They do bring in Jalen Jackson, who was able to average seven and a half points per game last year at UICN. In the last six games of the season, shot 44% from three, 14 and a half points per game, but... They're banking on D2 UW Parkside transfer Rashid Bello, who's awesome at the D2 level, G-L-I-A-C. Yeah, that's a conference player of the year, averaging 18 points, five boards, four and a half assists per game. But when you're banking on someone like Bello coming in from the D2 level, going up to the D1 level, that's not necessarily where you want to be, in my opinion, in the rising league.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of Horizon League schools go that route before where it, it's just hit or miss sometimes. When you when you go that route of getting some of the D2 guys coming up to the D1 level, there can obviously be a transition. We've seen that, I think, with quite a few players over the years in this league and other leagues, of course, too. But I think this is a team that's kind of oh, I'm trying to think of the right word because, you know, they won, what, 20-something games, I think, the year before. It feels like they're just sort of kind of in that middle range of teams right now even though you know they had that sort of year the year before like i said they won 20 something games but it feels like now kind of coming off of last year i just don't know and i think it's kind of one of those teams that i probably have more questions about than i do answers right now just in terms of like you said maybe where the scoring comes from needing to rely on new guys that again may be a little bit of a transition to getting acclimated to the league and those kind of things i can honestly say greg this is probably one of those teams for the mastodons that I don't have a great feel of kind of what they're going to be. I feel like there's probably a ceiling there in terms of just how high they could go. I don't know if this, to me, looks like a roster that can win the league, but we've seen crazier things happen, I guess, in the Horizon League before. But uh, I do think this is one of those where, again, teams coming off a season where they lost some close games, but at the same time it feels like maybe there's just that extra something, at least when you look at the roster on paper, that they're missing, that that a couple other, or maybe more than a couple of these other teams in the league seem to have. This
1: is going to be a really interesting conference. I do think that when the team says starting to fall behind is Fort Wayne, and for Robert Morris, they are going to be losing their top two scorers from last season, including Enoch Cheeks. So you want a statue suffer? Enoch <laughs> Cheeks did it all, but it's very rare that you see a team like Robert Morris land a guy like Justin Williams. Two Four Seven Sports Adam, him rated as a number seventy prospect in the class of two thousand twenty-one. Didn't see a lot of time at LSU, but and that's a high-level player that is coming into the conference. Yeah. Stephon Walker. He was able to register about 8.6 rebounds per game in a starting role last season. Josh Corbin, he was a top 50 player in terms of three-point shots made per game last season as well. I take a look at this Robert Morris team. Very fascinating team. They're going to need someone like a Jackson last to be able to build off the nice end that he had to last season, but I feel like this is one of the ultimate wild cards in the conference with Justice Williams coming in.
3: Yeah, I think you said it best. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why, because it's obviously a very, very talented player, you know, obviously for me covering the SEC. Among the other things that I do, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, you've got a guy who's at LSU, and, you know, you could see he didn't play a lot, but you could certainly see, you know, for someone like that in the, in the backcourt's got some good size, you could see the potential there. Now it's just a matter of can, like you said, sort of he fit into what I think Robert Morris wants to do on the offensive side and the defensive side too, of course. But I do look at this team, you talk about just losing a, a stat stuffer in it, and a guy who could just do a lot of different things in cheeks. And now you sort of look around and just try to find ways to replace him. And I think at least when you look at what Andrew Toole has done there, he's been there a long time now. And it's wild to think that he's been there as many years as he had, because I think what, he it went all the way back to 2010, 11, maybe that he started there. Of course, they were in the NEC. This is going to be their fourth year in the Horizon League, but You know, you look at kind of that trajectory to where, you know, first year, you know, 2021-19 games, I think. They've kind of just continued. I mean, here's the thing, Greg. What's interesting is I was kind of making my notes on them is they've doubled their win total each of the last three seasons. So if they do that this season, they're going to be playing in the Sweet 16 probably because, you know, that would mean 32 wins, I think, because they went 16 and 17 last year. But it's one of those teams too. I think is just kind of you're trying to find those things that can sort of push you to the top. And I think maybe the emergence of a Justice Williams Given the background there, given, I think, his skill set, that could be what pushes him to the top. But I'm curious just to see what else is kind of there around them and the consistency they get for a team that did struggle to score the ball at
1: times last season. Yep, they did struggle a little bit at times to score last season. This team did as well. But Cleveland State was a really good road team last season, and they returned one of the top players in this conference. Cherson and Aruna, he was able to put up 15.5 points, six half boards, a steal, a block per contest, Absolutely love that they bring in Tevin Smith, a double figure scorer from the Summit League as well. Doc Mordor, he should be able to give this team a little bit of size down low at six foot ten. You bring back Jason Woolrich. I take a look at this bunch, a squad that was able to do a very solid job with regards to being able to grab offensive rebounds. Defensive rebounds was a little bit rough, but they returned three other top four scorers from last season. Very intrigued by Cleveland State, a bunch at. We thought it was going to be ravaged after they lost
3: Dennis Gates, but they've done a very good job of maintaining in life without him. We both said that. I mean, we were like, oh boy, like what's this roster going to look like? Robinson takes over and and you're just trying to figure out, okay, what's going to be left? Like, can they really, and sort of stay, you know, where they had kind of been at as we know under Dennis Gates and, I mean, give that staff a lot of credit because they were able to put this together and again, put a team out there that was able to get them 20 plus wins. And I think you have now that confidence in seeing that that staff did that in year one, when a lot of people expected them just to fall off and they made it clear, hey, we feel like we can push the right buttons and get the right players in place where we're not going to kind of fall off. And I don't expect that this season either. Like you said, I would fully expect this to be one of the top tier teams in the league just because, you know, it's kind of building off of what Dennis Gates did there. It's, a, it's different now. It's not the same. But there is kind of that culture in place, Greg. Remember, we talk about the culture there. You go back several years ago, maybe before Dennis Gates got there, it wasn't there. But now you see kind of what they built, you know, to win league championships and those kind of things. I think they kind of, you know, fed off of that last year. And this was another one of those teams when you really looked at it We know there were a lot of close games in the Rising League last year, but you're talking about a team that I want to say they had a couple of those overtime games last season. They had a couple games that were, you know, decided by a point or two. You win a couple more of those games, and maybe you're having a little bit of a different conversation. Maybe they're in the NCAA tournament. I do think that this is one where I'm pretty optimistic, and I think maybe I was one of the more pessimistic people once Dennis Gates left there. But now, when you look at kind of what's in place, you mentioned the guys on the roster. I think there's reason to continue to be optimistic about this program, because I think they proved last season they're not just going to fall off. They've got a foundation in place now to where I'm not going to start saying, you know, this is the the next right state and teams like that that we've kind of seen some of that consistency with, but or Northern Kentucky or those kind of teams. But I don't really see Cleveland State going anywhere.
1: I don't see that either. And I remember when we were talking about IUPUI a few minutes ago, you were talking about baby steps for them. (laughs) I think that that's what we need to point out for UW-Green Bay. They made baby steps in that they canned Will Ryan, and I'm sure Will Ryan is a nice guy, but he was just not cut out to be the coach at UW-Green Bay. That became very apparent from day one that he was out there. Now they bring in Sundance Wicks. He was over at Wyoming as an assistant there, and he brings with him Noah Reynolds, which how UW-Green Bay was able to pry Noah Reynolds away from Wisconsin, I have no idea, but that's a good win for them right there. half points, two assists per game. he was playing over at Wyoming last season. They went the D2 route. Rich buyer he was able to average right around 18 points, eight boards per contest at Rockhurst College. Preston Rudiger, he is gonna be coming in after he was F Perez last year. So that Illinois transfer Froster Wonder is gonna be coming in, and then you bring back Clarence Cummings a third as well. Is this gonna be a bunch that's gonna be contending for the conference ground? No, but after they finished three and twenty-nine last year, there's no place to go but up and I think they finally have a real coach now with the program.
3: All right, Greg. So I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to go to the Dennis Gates level because, you know, we are very big fans of Dennis Gates. But I'm just telling you, something we've said before with Dennis Gates, we said we feel like he had it, right? We said, like, this guy just has that something that you feel like he's going to push a program forward. I think you've got that it. It may not be the same it, but I think you've got that in Sundance Wicks here because I look at, like, what you said. If you see kind of what he's done to bring in Reynolds and to see kind of the roster – that he's put together in one offseason. I don't think this is a team that, like you said, maybe steps is probably important here. I would not be looking at the expectation for them to win, you know, 20-plus games necessarily. But I do think that you are seeing right off the bat that it is sort of a different foundation that is being put in place here. And I think you're seeing exactly what you need to see if you're a Green Bay fan to feel optimistic that this is not going to be a program, you know, that's winning eight or less games like they have the past three seasons. Remember, Greg, the conversation we had, Right after, you know, they had parted ways with Link Garner. We're just looking around wondering what on earth has happened here. And we said, you know, you sort of have to be careful what you wish for in those scenarios. Green Bay has seen that more than perhaps any other program in college basketball over the past three seasons, and nothing against Will Ryan either, like you mentioned. But I do think that there is something with Sundance Wick, something else to keep in mind. You know, he was at Northern State. Remember, that's where the legendary Don Meyer was coaching. Someone there, he played at Northern State. He was there, I think, as a grad assistant, or he was an assistant coach there at one point or another. I just think the background, just sort of his career trajectory... I feel like this is the guy that they needed in place for where the program is at right now. He's going to bring in energy and those kind of things. And I really think that, again, I don't know if it happens this season, Greg, but I think this program is definitely heading in the right direction. And I do think he's got those intangibles that you need to probably get them back on track, perhaps sooner than people think.
1: Yep, absolutely. I am right there with you. I thought that that was a tremendous hire for them. And we've got one more team to take a look at. And this bunch is going to have one of the best backcourts. In the conference, that would be Northern Kentucky. I absolutely love Marquise Warwick. 18.5 points on 38% three-point shooting. For, by the way, one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. His 18 points per game for a team that would play at a normal tempo, that would be north of 20 points per game. And then you also bring back Sam Vincent. One of the best players at being able to generate steals in all of college basketball. You throw in there. The gentleman that comes in from Maryhurst College and Michael Bradley, he was able to average 15 points, shot 37.5% from three-point range. You bring in someone like a Keon it is Jerry. He was playing over at Marquette, seldom used, but you know what? A top 225 recruit from the class of 2021. Northern Kentucky, loaded once again. Losing a few guys down low is going to be hurting them a little bit, but all in all, this backcourt is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah,
3: it's going to be fantastic. A well-oiled machine. Now, I think this program is under Darren Horn, and again, we talk about coaches that have kind of seen a resurgence. You know, obviously, too, we remember what he achieved at Western Kentucky. Had some struggles in South Carolina; just not the right fit, but now. Kind of see where his career has come to now and what he's done in these past four seasons at Northern Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, they are to me. They're, they're just a well-oiled machine. And, and I think that their team, like you said, if it's not Wright State, it's got to be Northern Kentucky because you just kind of see, I think, what they've done. Not to discount Youngstown State and Cleveland State and those kind of teams. But I do look at this Northern Kentucky team, and I think you're, again, banking probably on the optimistic side here, even if, like you mentioned, that they've got to replace some guys. I think you're banking on what Darren Horn has put together there and kind of what they put in place. And this is a team that I think you just expect to win a lot of games in this league. And, um, you feel like they don't they kind of play a style we know they're, they're not going to be a run up and down type team they're going to play their style and they're going to make people play the way they want to play and, and usually that results in a lot of wins so I look at this team overall and yeah I just don't really see a lot of reason to be down on them at all even with some guys they have to replace because again they brought some very talented players into so yeah I think they're giving Darren Horn the benefit of the doubt at this point.
1: This is going to be a fun conference we've got a very interesting conference and one that I feel like the bottom and the top is going to be as sin from 1 through 11 as I have seen in quite some time. Blake, I know you're doing an absolutely amazing job taking a look at the game of college basketball. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms.
3: Yeah, I always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of the SEC stuff I do, you can find it on YouTube at Southeastern 14, but obviously cover all of college basketball. And all of that you can find on Twitter at the Blake Level.
1: Blake does an incredible job taking a look at this game that we all know and love, and he's been joining me for the Horizon League conference preview for many, many years. Always lends great insights on this podcast on the conference. and did so once again today. Big thanks to Blake for joining me on Cusco Super part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming couple next, it is that time of the pro- It is that time of the podcast. They give me my protector or finish for the Horizon League.
2: Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A N G I.com. Or download the app today.
1: And we're back here you, Las Vegas for Cozy Cozy with myself, Dragoon Speeders, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Blake Lovell always does tremendous work taking a look at this great game that we all know a love of college basketball. He has joined me every year for like five years, breaking down the Horizon League. It's one of the conferences that he truly knows and loves. It is always great to get him aboard. He does an amazing job breaking it all down at Southeastern 14 and so much more. So a big thanks to our good friend Blake for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you my projector or finish for the Horizon League, and do note, I mentioned this in the first segment, because I am doing a conference preview today, that means that all the news and notes we saw in college basketball from Saturday, we are going to be rounding those up on the podcast tomorrow. So, tomorrow's podcast is pretty much going to have a weekend roundup of all the news and notes in college basketball. We really haven't been seeing a lot in terms of the transfer front, so I don't think we are going to have missed too much, and I don't think you're going to miss too much if you don't have high expectations for this team. It dead last in my projector or finish, that'd be Purdue Fort Wayne. Purdue Fort Wayne is looking to improve an in interior defense. I was three hundred and forty-seventh in the country, an opponent two-point shooting percentage. Problem is they lose darn near everyone from last year. Quentin Morton Robinson, he's going to be back in the fold after he was able to give the team right around 6.5 points per game last season, so he did a little bit of something, but man, it's rough. They do bring in Jalen Jackson, who was playing over at UIC last season. He was able to put up 7.5 points per game, and he did have a nice end to the season, averaging 14.5 points, 1.7 steals, 44.5% three-point shooting, final six games of the season. Destin Whitaker, he was a career 38% three-point shooter at Fresno State, Problem is, he really didn't play too much. The key for them is actually going to be Rashid Bello, who was able to average 18 points, five boards, four and a half assists, one and a half steals per game at UW-Parkside. By the way, the only Division II school in the state of Wisconsin, but I think that it's going to be an uphill battle for them. They really have no rebounding whatsoever. They lose so much of their top fight scoring from last season, as well as four other top five scorers from last season. They are out of the fold, so... I Take a look at this Fort Wayne team. They're really going to be facing an uphill battle. And for that matter, I believe that each other top six scores from last year are out. So, I mean, it just, as you look at it more and more, you've got less and less returning. And I think that's going to be a brutal year for Fort Wayne. I actually don't have IUPUI to last in my projector or finish because, well, we've got our good friends, Amassadons there. At number 10 in my projector or finish, I do have IUPUI, and for IUPUI, I do think that there's strides being taken forward with this team. They were able to score more than 50 points per game, unlike two years ago. So, hey, they were able to do a little bit more there. They need to buff up this defense. It was 360th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But Bryce Monroe... He should be back in the fold. He played only four games last season. Guy that I liked at San Diego, along with Sam Houston say 12 points, 3.8 assists per contest when he was out there last season. Jalen Counter, he averaged 14.5 points per game and really got a, on a heater towards back half last season. Final 13 games of the season, shot nearly 36% from three, 17 points, four boards, a steal, 3.5 assists per game. So you've got building blocks. Vincent Brady is someone that's able to give you little bit of three-point shooting as well, but he's pretty much the only player returning that shot at least 30% from three-point range last season. They're going to be looking to bringing in something like an Ives. Nakumba, I probably said that wrong. I'm sorry, but he's a six foot eleven center that comes in for Kansas. Kendrell Blocker is also someone that comes in for Buffalo. Not a blocker, by the way. Some of that shoots in the mid thirties for three point range. Quasi Samuels comes in for George Washington. I just don't know how much these guys are going to be able to elevate IUPUI because I, mean, to use the good old money ball phrase, there was like 20 feet of junk and that's where IUPUI is trying to climb up from, so it is a rough situation, but at the very least, I do think that IUPUI is going to avoid the complete seller. I do have them number 10 in terms of my projector to fish. and number nine, I am actually going to be going with Detroit. For Detroit, they could not win with the top scorer in all of college basketball last season, and you got to wonder what they're going to be able to do this season because with Detroit, I honestly do think that in some ways it's a little bit of an addition by subtraction that you don't have Antoine Davis, which is strange to say because he averaged 28 points per contest last season, averaged at least 23.9 points per game in five straight years, and you do bring in P.J. Fuller. Fuller was able to do a solid job at Washington, six points, two and a half assists, two per contest last season, and I mean, he had nine points, three and a half assists in his first 12 games of the season before... Getting completely passed up. And they should have Jaden Stone back in the fold as well. Played just 13 games last season. Five and a half boards, 14 points, and he shot a startling 52% from three. This Detroit team never plays any defense whatsoever, though. That's very costly. Alex Achiku, he comes in from Rhode Island. Six foot 11, big man. That should be able to help out a little bit on the glass, but. His team last year, 323rd in the country and points a lot on a per possession basis. 325th in the country and opponents 3-point shooting percentage. Emmanuel Kusech should be able to help them out. He comes in from New Mexico, was able to have 3.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game two seasons ago. But I do think that it's going to be rough for this team. And I just don't know if the coaching is necessarily that great there. So I got Detroit number 9 in terms of my projector or finish. Number 8, we're going to be going with Green Bay. I am buying what Blake Lovell is putting down. I think that Sundance Wicks is going to be able to breathe a little bit of fight into a UW-Phoenix team that, I mean, man, they made one of the worst coaching decisions I had really ever seen with canning Link Darner and going with Will Ryan. And I'm sure that Will Ryan was a great man. But being someone that was born and raised 45 minutes away from Green Bay, it was sad to see. But now they bring in Noah Reynolds. A guy that started for Wyoming last year and averaged 14 and a half points and 2 assists per contest, Rich Byer was a very good D2 player at Rockers. 18 points, 8 board shot, 40% from three. Good versatility there. They bring in Preston Rudinger. He comes in from Valparaiso, was able to give the team about 2.5 rebounds per game. And then you have a standout from Lords Academy for him as well. So, Lords Academy, that's very close to UW-Green Bay. Foster Wonder, he comes in after he was able to shoot 46% from three in the first 12 games of the season while he was over at Southern Illinois last season. Clarence Cummings. He returns, and he's a comings around with his production as well. He was able to shoot about 37% from three, 12 points, four boards in the final back half of the season as well. So I do think that this is going to be very, very big, and I do think that for Sundance Wicks, He is one of the more up-and-coming coaches in all of college basketball. Going to be able to ascend this team this year. And I do think that a year from now, that's when we could see UW-Green Bay becomes the next Cleveland State. And I do think that we see sort of that trajectory where UW-Green Bay, they surprise a lot of people this year. I've got them number eight in terms of my projector or finish. And number seven, I'm going with Oakland. Oakland is much better on paper Then the seventh-best team in the conference, Greg Campy needs to teach his guys how to just play a little bit of defense, though. Two out of last three seasons, Oakland has been 333rd or worse in points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do bring back Trey Townsend, 16.5 points, 7.5 boards, a block per contest, shot 38.5% per three, but... A team that plays no defense and was really not good from three-point range. That's a horrible combination. They bring in Andre Polk. He was rated by JucoRecruiting.com as the number 19 junior college transfer in the class of 2023. Began his career at Central Michigan. And and hey, why I was at Central Michigan, he was able to put up eight points, four and a half boards in the max. So I think that you got something there. The biggest thing is I think that Rocket Watts at this point is more of a liability than an asset. Average eight and a half points, a steal per game on 26.5% three-point shooting last year. Rocket Watch just isn't good. He's been a big, fat disappointment for three straight years. You bring back Blake Lantman, who was able to do a solid job, contributing nearly two steals, seven points per contest. Chris Conway, he's able to bury a few shots from the floor as well. He was able to shoot, actually, 74% from the floor final 18 games of the season. But once again, where is the defense going to magically come from because Greg Campy has not coached a lick of it last few seasons? That, I think, is going to be costly. I've got Oakland number seven in my projector or finish. I think this team is a big wild card. Robert Morris. Is my number six team in the conference. Robert Morris does lose Enoch Cheeks. They lose Khalil Spear, who had come in previously from the bracket Bus and Bucknell Bison. But I think Marquise Hastings could be a really good replacement for Spears. 8.5 points, 9.5 rebounds per game last season at Western Michigan. I recognize that he doesn't have the versatility in terms of being able to shoot from the outside. that Spear does, but that's a good place to start. Stephon Walker was able to lend six rebounds per game in a starting role last season as well. And Josh Corbin. He was able to make right around 2.83s per contest last season, so that was big. He was able to log about 10.5 points per contest, also shot 85% the free throw line. Jackson Last, I think, is going to be able to have a little bit of upside. He averaged 7.5 points, nearly 5 boards, 1.2 steals, had 35% 3-point shooting last 14 games of the season. Preston Phillips didn't see a lot of run at Evansville, but I think that he could be able to build off of something as well. But, Justice Williams... The 247 Sports number 70 rated prospect in 2021 spent the last few seasons at LSU. He's the main X factor. I think that he can do a very good job of running this offense. And I do think that this is a Robert Morris team that they're going to be able to be right towards the middle of the conference. They've been ascending ever since coming from the NEC. So I do like them to be able to surprise the people. I've got Robert Morris, number six, in terms of my projector of finish. And number five, I'm going to be going with Cleveland State. And this does feel low for a Cleveland State team that brings back a lot from last year. Tristan and Aruna, he was able to log 15.5 points, half boards, a steal, a block per contest last season. I think the biggest thing that has me held up on this team, though, is that the defense is not going to get better with Tevin Smith coming in. He comes in from Denver, 10.5 points, 3.5 boards, shot about 33% from three. That's good. Doc Muorder, he's a six-foot-ten gentleman that comes in from South Florida, but his team was 359th in the country a defensive rebound rate. So anytime an opponent missed a shot, they were able to get rebounds. You bring back Drew Lauder, nearly 10 points, a steal per contest, shot in the mid-30s from 3 point range, but... This is also a pretty yucky three-point shooting team as well, 340th in the country in terms of Three-point shooting percentage, and they were 357th at total main threes last season. So Cleveland State, in a conference that really values a lot of three-point shooting, they don't make any whatsoever. I think that this could be a little bit tough for them, but I do think that their defense is going to be top-notch. They generated a lot of turnovers on the road, so I do have them number five in terms of my projector finish. And number four, I'm going to be going with UW-Milwaukee. UW-Milwaukee has that guy returning. And that guy, his name is B.J. Freeman, who was awesome last year. For Freeman, he was able to register about 18 points, 5 boards, 3 assists down the stretch last season. You bring back Polian and Markeith Browning. Then you combine to log 20 points, 9.5 boards, a little bit over 4 assists. Shot 38.5% for 3. And Pierce Spencer, who comes in from Nichols, don't sleep on him. He's not a guy that's going to come in and going to register like 15 plus points per game, but he's one of those do-it-all guys. In at points, 5 boards, 2.5 assists, 1.6 steals per game in the Southland over the last two seasons. Langston Wilson, he was rated by 247 Sports as a top 5 junior college transfer 2021. He was at Washington the last two seasons, was not necessarily utilized too much. And what I think is very big for the team as well is that they've also got Lyric Davis returning. He was the number six freshman recruit from the state of Wisconsin in 2022 just to not get out there on the floor at Tennessee State. That's going to be big for them, but you do lose a lot of these guys that were very good down low. Each of the four players that average at least a block per game for a UW-Milwaukee team that was in the top 20 last year in terms of blocked shot rate are out of the fold. That's why I can't put UW-Milwaukee in my big three. I've got them number four in terms of my projector or finish. Number three, I'm going to be going with Youngstown State. Youngstown State does lose four other top five scores from last year, but with Youngstown State, they have done an incredible job here in the portal. Brandon Rush is the main holdover from last year. 14 points, steal per contest, shot 38% from three, but Brett Thompson, I think he's going to do good things. Comes in from Tennessee Tech. 12 points, 3 boards, 3 assists, shot 42% from three power range. Bryson Langdon, he's no stranger to the conference. 8 points, 4 assists, a steal per game during the 2020-21 season. Missed all of last season, but I think that he should be able to upgrade a defense that was 277th in the country in terms of opponent shooting percentage and Ziggy Reed. He comes in from Merrimack, the old Merriman. He averaged 14 points, four boards, 1.2 steals for a team that was number one in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. DJ Burns is going to be able to help out as well. Sound State, I think that they're going to lose something off their fastball of the offense last season. This defense should be very much improved. I like this roster. I like Jared Calhoun as coach. I've got Sound State, number three, in terms of my projector of finish. Number two, we're going to the north of Northern Kentucky. A team that played super duper slow last year, 342nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but they were second in steals generated on a per possession basis in true road games last year, and they bring back Marcus Warwick and Sam Vincent. Vincent was 14th among D1 players last year in steals per game, 1.8 points, 4.3 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 2.4 steals per game. They also bring in Cade Meyer, no stranger to the conference, comes in from UW Green Bay and well, a like 10.5 points, five boards per contest. Don't necessarily want him shooting threes, but you should be able to do a nice job there. Kian Itajeri, he comes in from Marquette 247 Sports, rated M as the number 217 prospect in the class of 2021. Sp- played sparingly, but that should be able to lend a little bit of something down low because they are going to be missing what made them so good down low last season. As for Northern Kentucky, they had pretty much the Chris Brandon show down low. And losing that is going to be hurting the team quite a bit. But I also do take a look at the fact that they bring in D2 Marriers transfer, Michael Bradley. And that should be a help out as well. 15 points, 4 assists, shot 37% from 3. Team was 337th of the country in terms of defensive rebound rate last season. I think that that is what is going to be costly to them. Because love the backcourt. Do think that they need a little bit more rebounding. Which is why I've got them number 2 in terms of my projector finish. And number 1. It is a right state. I think that they are going to be the right side in this conference. And this is assuming Tanner Holden comes back. If Tanner Holden is in the fold, they are number one. If not, they probably drop to about number three, maybe even number four. So I want to make that disclaimer right now because I think that Holden needs a waiver to be able to play. After last year, he was at Ohio State three and a half points per game. Ohio State had no idea how to utilize him. Ohio State was just absolutely terrible last year. They get what they deserve for not utilizing a guy that two years ago in the Ryzen like had 20.1 points, 7.1 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.4 steals per game. That was awesome. They do lose Amari Davis from last year. Amari Davis really didn't help the team very much. I'm sorry to say it, but Amari Davis, he doesn't shoot from three. He doesn't necessarily play the world's greatest defense. Not sure why he was there. You've got Trey Calvin, though. And Trey Calvin, this guy is a walking bucket. 20 and a half points, three and a half assists, 1.3 seals. Shot 39% from three. I'm gonna say this last name wrong. I apologize, but Alex. Herbert Gueste, he was able to shoot 39% for three, 8.5 points with 11.2 points, four boards, two assists, 40% three-point shooting. Final 12 games of the season. Brandon Noel, he was able to chip in their 8.5 boards, 13 points, shot about 36% from three. Depth might be a little bit of an issue. Wright State, other than than getting back into the fold, Tanner Holden really didn't bring in a whole a lot, but A.J. Braun, I like his upside, five boards for contest, and Andrew Wellish. He shot 47.5% from 313th among all qualifying D1 players. And then I do think that Keaton Norris has some upside as well as he was able to make about 39% of his series two seasons ago. I think that he's gonna be able to ascend, help this right state team out with Tanner Holden in the fold, become the number one team in the Ryzen Lake. They are number one in terms of my projector or fanshan. Now we'll wrap things up for the Ryzen Lake Conference Preview Edition right here on Coast Guys now a part of the Visa family of podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Custod Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you're your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and tune in. If you have a question, comment, segment idea. And I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Janet underscore 81 Keep in mind, Larziem, maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five star review. Big thanks to, once again, Blake Lovell. He joins me every single year to break down the rise and link. did a great job once again. I will be with you guys every single day on this podcast during the off season, taking a look at the news and notes of college basketball and giving you guys these conference previews once we get in season. Fixing analysis on every single game, every single day. So I will be with you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.